Hello, and welcome to the Wise Herbal Podcast, sponsored by Wise Woman Herbal. I'm Chris Vaughn, Clinical Herbalist and Director of Wise Woman Herbal. The information we're going to provide in this episode is for educational purposes. And on this episode, we have Dr. John Neustadt to discuss the current situation with COVID-19 and to offer some practical strategies for both practitioners and patients. Dr. Neustadt is a naturopathic physician and founder of Nutritional Biochemistry, Inc. Dr. Neustadt is passionate about research and education. He's published more than 100 research reviews and has written four books. He was also an editor of the textbook, Laboratory Evaluations for Integrative and Functional Medicine. And I'm very proud to have him on here with us today, and I'm very excited for the great information that he's going to share about what is going on in our communities right now. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Neustadt. Thank you. Oh, thank you for the opportunity to share what I've learned. Uh, It is truly a a timely and important message and issue to get out there to as many people as possible. It is for sure. So um, I know that you've been doing a lot of research on this topic, and you just recently did write a blog. I know your family is now in quarantine. So tell us a little bit about what you know and what you guys are going through in your own family and in your own communities um, with this virus outbreak. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not an alarmist. I'm, I'm never the sky is falling kind of guy. I I like to look at the research and make a reasoned assessment assessment of what is going on. And what I've been reading and what the data show is uh, frankly horrifying. And unfortunately, I think too many people even still, even as California is mandating uh, requiring quarantines and New York is and other states are starting to, I think people are taking still a laissez-faire attitude or a lot of people are more people are taking it more seriously, but I'm still getting comments from people and people sending me, you know, notes on Facebook and, and, and communicating with me that it's no worse than the flu and this is being overblown and nothing could be further from the case. And we all need to take this seriously because, frankly, our healthcare system is about to be completely overrun. In fact, as as we speak in north of Seattle, Washington, in Shoreline, Washington, they're creating a makeshift field hospital out of a soccer field. And we're going to be needing to see more and more of that. The American Hospital Association states that they're about, uh, reports that they're about 900 and 25,000 hospital beds in this country. And about 10% of those, only 10% are reserved for critical care. And not all those hospital beds are, are, are in use. I mean, not all of those hospital beds are open. About 80% of those or so are, are already being used by other, other patients. So what does that mean in terms of what, what is the, literally the tsunami, the rising tide of infections? How is it going to affect those those hospital and our healthcare system. Besides the, the, the amount of beds, in a 2020 report, the Center for Health Security at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health reported that U.S. hospitals have approximately 160,000 ventilators ready for use, with another about 9,000 held in a national reserve. Now, that doesn't specify you know, how many ventilators are commonly 
you know, in use, but they estimated that the demand could increase by about 25% in an influenza pandemic. Now we're in a coronavirus or COVID-19 virus pandemic, not influenza, but the, but the implications of that are clear. The demand is going to increase for those, for those ventilators. And what are we looking at? I mean, this is not the typical flu where there is some immunity in the population already to the influenza. We are naive. Our immune systems are naive to the coronavirus. So everybody is at risk of being in, infected. And the epidemiological studies show that they're anticipating the doubling of cases called the doubling rate every six days, regardless of whether or not there's more testing. Right now, we're getting reports of a huge increase in, in cases in New York and California. Well, that's not really a jump in the people that are being infected. That's just we're starting to test more. But that underlying doubling of every six days, regardless of testing or not, is, is expected to stay, stay pretty constant. And so what does that mean? That means that by the end of April, and these are not my calculations, but by the end of April, one million cases could be in the U.S. That's the U.S. alone. By May 7th, so six days later, double that, two million. May 13th, four million. May 19th, 16 million. May 25th, 18 million. May 31st, uh, 31st 36 million cases of COVID-19 infections. And that's if we don't do anything. That's if we don't, you probably people have heard a lot of the, the idea of flattening the curve. That means we're slowing down the infection rate by people staying away from each other. This virus is passed along and transmitted through human networks human to human contact. So the more we can stay away from each other and the CDC guidelines of social distancing and of course cleanliness with washing the hands are good, prudent recommendations that everybody should be adhering to. Just today they finally, a little bit slow in my opinion, finally closed the beaches down in Fort Lauderdale and other places, Miami, in, in Florida where spring break was going on and these college kids are just partying like there's nothing, like they have no care in the world. And so they're taking these. I know I was watching that on the news today and yeah, there's a very, they have a very um, me only attitude. Like I'm not going to let this interrupt my partying and they just really are not understanding the wider implications. Well, and I think of part of it, them being out like that. Absolutely. And part of it is, is I think younger adults and kids have feel that they're invincible and it can't happen to them. And I do think that there is out there in the media and online this, these statements that it's just, it's like getting the flu. You get a few symptoms, it, it, it gets better. And that's actually not the case. It's much, much deadlier than the flu. And I'll get to those numbers in, in, in just a moment. But finally, they implemented those restrictions in, in Florida and are going to be shutting those, those beaches down. Because those people who are there drinking alcohol, staying up all night partying, probably not eating very well, you know, they're, they're depleting their immune system and leaving themselves even more vulnerable to getting infected. So it's a great public health right, move right. by the state. So I find it interesting, too, when we look at the numbers, um, and, I, and I talk to a lot of practitioners. You know, I think the first reported case in the United States was January. And I'm talking to a lot of practitioners and a lot of people around me 
who believe we've really been seeing this virus presenting since November. Um, and, you know, we look back at people who had an illness that just did not act like any other illness we've ever experienced. And, you know, I was one of them um, back in November who got really sick. And so what do you think about that? Do you feel like that we've been seeing this before we knew about it? Well, it's possible. I mean, that, that can be the, the case. I think HIV was that way when, when it first started. There were cases of it that were happening in mysterious, mysterious illness. And until there was, it was diagnosed and defined, then it was confused with other diseases that were going on. So I think that's, that's definitely possible. You're correct. And my understanding is the first confirmed case was, was in January, which I believe was the same time as in South Korea. Uh, and yet they're testing, they were testing, I believe it was 10,000 people a day and we're still trying to get our testing off the ground. There's just a lot of unknowns and there's no coordinated federal response currently for dealing with this public health crisis. And so states are, are making it up as they go along, which is, um, uh, which makes it very challenging to, to get on top of this as quickly as possible because what the, if we don't, if we don't get on top of this quickly. The American Hospital Association is projecting that uh, there will be up to, there'll be about 96 million cases of COVID-19 infection. That's about, that's 29, 30% of the U.S. population. And of those cases, they estimate 5% will require hospitalization, which would be 4.8 million admissions. Now, remember, we have less than a million hospital beds, and most of those hospital beds are already occupied and only about 10% are available and ready, equipped to deal with emergency patients. So our hospitals are about to be totally overwhelmed, not to mention personal protective equipment that we're already running out of. And then cases requiring intensive care unit hospitalization and isolation, according to the American Hospital Association, again, one to 2%, that's about 1.9 million cases. A ventilator support. They estimate 1% of cases will require ventilation, uh, mechanical ventilation. And the total number of ventilators required then would be 960,000 if their numbers are correct. And we only have about 170,000 total. It's such a dire situation that, that uh, Tesla and car manufacturers are now saying we will retool our facilities to manufacture ventilators. That's how bad it is. And there are... Uh, you know, that there are powers with the federal government if they chose to enact it, that they could speed that up even faster. And so far they're refusing to do that, unfortunately. So that's, that's the, the dire situation with, with hospitalizations. And then you've got all these other people saying, well, you know, it's no, it's more, no worse than a, a, a flu. Well, it's not really about you or me since this is, this is, spread by human contact and human networks. I think a better way to think about quarantine is we've got to try and slow this down. And I, uh, I think a better way to consider this is that we already have it and we want to keep our neighbors and our communities from, from getting it. Now, my family, as you mentioned, is in self-quarantine because my daughter, who's in fifth grade, uh, just before the school shut down, the day before actually the school was shut down, we found out, shared some food with a girl whose parent was subsequently tested positive for COVID-19. So out of an immense measure of caution, we all self-quarantined. Nobody in or out. 
Now we'll go out and we'll go for walks as a family or walk the dog and stay away from, from people, but we're, we're not socializing. There are no play dates going on and definitely not now because we're in San Diego and California and the governor shut, basically shut the state down. Um, but we're not symptomatic. It's now been a week, eight, uh, eight days. And so I think we're, we're fine, but that is the attitude that is appropriate in this situation. We have to protect our neighbors because the highest risk for mortality is in people who are elderly, 65 and older, people with pre-existing conditions like heart disease, diabetes, pulmonary conditions like asthma and COPD, immune compromised uh, conditions, autoimmune conditions. And you don't know if you're just walking around looking at somebody, you can't tell who has those conditions. Yes, you can tell somebody who's older looking at them, but you don't know with somebody's health what's really going on. So we owe it to our communities to to be as conservative as possible and try and keep everybody else safe. Interestingly, because the data is so new, and these, these statisticians and epidemiologists and researchers are just trying to crunch the data as quickly as, as we can. Coming out of Asia and China and South Korea, the data appear to, to show that it, it predominantly does affect older people. But what we're seeing, it just came out yesterday, is that uh, 20% of hospitalizations in the U.S. are people less than 65 years old. So if you're in your 30s and you're in your 40s and you're walking around thinking I, this is just going to be the sniffles and I'll be fine, that's not what actually the data are showing and people need to take this seriously. So what does it show in terms of mortality? The flu in 2018-2019 flu season, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that there were 35.5 million cases of the flu in the United States. Of those there are about 34,000 deaths. That's uh, 0.1%. With, there's a study coming out. It's actually not scheduled to be officially published in, until June of this year, 2020. But it was published earlier this week because the findings are so significant and this issue is so important that it, was, it, it got released. It was pre-published or got early release. And it's in the journal Emerging and Infectious Diseases. Researchers took epidemiological data from mostly from China because that's where most of the data are coming out of. And it shows that the mortality rate is 0.25% to 3%. And it said that's the range, the best estimate for policy makers and disease modelers to use is that mortality rate, 025 to 3%. And given that why, I mean, that's a huge range. And it just shows how much we don't know, what the level of uncertainty that we're dealing with it is. So compare that, though, just to the uh, influenza mortality rate of 0.1%. And the, even on the low end, the mortality rate of the COVID virus, COVID-19, is more than double that. And the part of the difference is, when people comparing it to the flu, they, the difference is we are not only the mortality rate, but we have a naive immune systems to this. So whereas not everybody is going to get or is as susceptible to the influenza virus, everybody in the U.S., everybody is equally susceptible. Their immune systems can equally be taken over by the COVID-19 virus. And so a much larger percentage, a much larger part of the population is going to be infected 
And even if it's a lower rate of mortality, the overall death rate is going to be higher. So let's just take the American Hospital Association number. So 96 million uh, cases. That's if we don't do anything. On the low end of the mortality rate, that's 240,000 deaths. Influenza last year, 34,000 deaths. So 240,000 on the low end for the COVID-19 virus. On the high end of that 3% mortality rate that actually I hear quite often in the media, if that's the accurate mortality rate and the, the American Hospital Association number of 96 million people getting infected is accurate, that's 28.8 million people in the United States being uh, killed by this virus. It's, it's like nothing we've ever had to deal with or see before. And other countries like yeah. Lombardy, Italy, you know, they're dealing with it where they're triaging in hospital patients in hospitals and just like, if you get sick and you need to come to the hospital, we can't help you anymore. They are so overrun. And unfortunately, 12% of the uh, infections in the Lombardy region of Italy are are being experienced by healthcare providers. So the very people who are on the front end and are fighting this and who we need are also getting infected. And we're at risk of that too because our personal protective equipment in the US is inadequate. We don't have enough. There aren't enough masks. There aren't enough face shields. There aren't enough uh, full body suits. And it is going to, we are looking at a, without exaggeration, again, these are, none of these are my numbers. It's going to absolutely overwhelm our healthcare system. So we all need to do it's whatever. It's really devastating when you think about that. It's it's overwhelming numbers when you really pay attention to that and really get the gravity of what this means. And these are speculation. We we don't know. It could be. It could end up more than that. We because, like you said, none of us have antibodies to this kind of a virus. We're all equally susceptible and we have to be doing our part to slow this down because we just don't have the capacity to handle it. And and I believe it will not get to be as dire as the American Hospital Association uh, projections because we have models from other countries of how to slow it down. In China, it didn't, not that many people were infected. In South Korea, not that many people were infected. You know, there are models out there for containing the epidemic in China, Singapore, Taiwan, and South Korea, you know, all of which seem to be heading for relatively re- quick recoveries. And what did they do? They did two things. They implemented severe social, social isolation rules and they rolled out massive testing programs. Now, we still don't have enough testing in this country to, to monitor adequately the virus and the spread of the virus. But at the very least, while that's, that's getting ramped up, the, the social isolation is something we can all do and something, frankly, that should be, in my opinion, legally mandated as quickly as possible. And the U.S. needs to learn. We need to learn what others have done to fight this because we, we have models for how to, how to deal with this and, and try and flatten, flatten the curve. But there are things that people can do besides just staying away from each other. And um, you talk about the numbers are overwhelming. I, uh, I spent a lot of time looking at, at these numbers and I do a monthly on my um, NBI Facebook page, a monthly Ask the Doc Live Q&A. And a lot, I've been getting a lot of questions about the COVID virus and the infection, the pandemic, and what people can do about it. So I dedicated this last, it just happened to be one was scheduled for this earlier this week. 
uh, just a couple of nights ago. And so I, I, I did it and I was going over all of these numbers, just like I am with, with, with you. And unlike that Facebook Live, you know, unlike this interview, I should say, that Facebook Live, that was the first time I was really saying these numbers out loud. And we all know, as healthcare providers, we know people who are on the front lines of this. I have a friend I went to medical school with. His wife is an ER physician in Seattle. Uh, I've got, a, I just interviewed for my podcast, a physician in Arizona who's a cardiologist. And even just in his outpatient clinic, he has already seen, treated 15 confirmed cases of, of uh, COVID-19 patients and another 35 presumptive uh, cases. Another person, somebody I work with, her husband is a life flight nurse. He's getting inquiries from all over the country. Please, will you come and, and work in our, in our hospital? Will you come and work? We'll pay you $10,000 a, a, a week. For three, wow. And in one case, it was $12,000 for three 12-hour shifts. That's how desperate. And this is what people aren't hearing on the news, unfortunately. And so the first time I was really reading these numbers out loud and sharing these stories and experiences that I've been hearing from friends and colleagues, I, I got so overwhelmed with emotion. I, I literally started sobbing on the Facebook Live. I had to stop myself. And if people don't get how serious this is, they should sit with those numbers that, that I just mentioned because those are official numbers from epidemiological studies and the American Hospital Association. And this is really what's happening. And it's important to confront this with our eyes wide open so we can do something as quickly as possible about it. And, right. I lo and, and, and that's what I love helping with people too because it's not all doom and gloom. There are things that we can do. There's self-isolation, but there are great strategies for what we as individuals and for our families can do. And I love sharing what, what I'm doing uh, for myself and for my family, what I'm recommending to people as they reach out to me, what I put in my blog. This is you know, exactly what I'm doing in my own home and what I'm recommending people do because there are great strategies out there that we can all use and people can share with their patients and uh, adopt their own protocols with it to help maintain a strong immune system and to support a healthy immune system. And the more we can do that, the less susceptible we are to get in, to getting in, an infection and the more likely we will be uh, to have more mild symptoms if we were to get an infection, the stronger that our bodies can be. And I think when we have good strategies too, we get to really reduce some fear and panic because there's still a lot of panic in people at the idea of going into social iso isolation for a time frame um, and fear of, you know, what happens if I get this virus. So I would really love for you to share any kinds of tips and strategies that you're using and that you're recommending so that people, you know, cause I always say when you know better, you do better. Right. I love and that. So yeah. when, you know, so what, what would you share with people as uh, strategies to follow um, in the face of just really, first of all, immune support so that you're not going to get the virus or hopefully you don't get the virus. And then what would you suggest if somebody does feel like they're getting sick? So those are great, and, and that's a great way to frame it. There are really two sides to this issue. One is, what can you do if you're not symptomatic, if you're not having symptoms? 
And if you do get symptoms, what, what can you consider or what should you consider doing? And that is exactly how I think about it as well. So first of all, uh, you follow the CDC guidelines and stay up to date. You can go to the CDC website. Uh, they're easy to find. You can Google it. You'll follow the CDC guidelines for prevention, washing hands, basic things that hopefully everybody knows. And in normal times, probably don't do, but now it's really imperative to do, to wash hands frequently. Social distances, uh, distancing is very important. But we've got to give our bodies a, a fighting chance. So what are some things then that will keep your immune system strong? Uh, the first thing I think of is sleep, making sure people get enough sleep because we know that sleep deprivation decreases immune system activity and leaves us more vulnerable to infections. So to make sure we're doing everything we can do to get sleep, and I and on my blogs, I created a checklist, a, a checklist called uh, Your Checklist to Beat Insomnia. And that's a great one. We're doing everything on, on that. And that's on the, the website, the nbihealth.com. And what are some of those things? So one is Fitbit, interestingly, had an uh, amazing amount of data. Eight, I think it was 8, million, 8 billion data points from their, their users, just a tremendous amount of data. And they researched and looked at all that and, and found out that the number one predictor for a good night's sleep was going to bed at about the same time. So having that routine and what they found is people who they typically go to bed about the same time during the week, we all have school or work and things that we have to get up for, but then Friday night comes around and they stay up later. Saturday night comes around, they stay up later. And then by the time Sunday night comes around and they've got to get back on their weekly schedule for their weekly obligations, it's as if they've flown to another time zone. They're, they termed it social jet lag. And so making sure you're going to a bed to bed at about the same time, especially if you're, you're in a uh, situation like we're in here, and I think most of the country is going to be before long, where there is so, uh, you know, basically a quarantine, stay-at-home rules. You're working from home. Your, your normal routine has been disrupted. It's really important to stay on that routine, to stay on a routine. So that's one. The, the other thing is turn off screens. Uh, the research is so clear that the, the, the light, the blue light from the screens, depletes melatonin. Uh, there's clinical trial that was run where uh, they were reading on e-readers or their uh, before bed versus a paper book, good old fashioned paper, analog. And those who were on the e-readers before bed, it took them 10 minutes longer to fall asleep. Now that may not seem like a lot, but what they discovered was in the morning, it took them hours longer for the participants to feel awake. They were groggier for hours longer in the morning. And they found that it depleted melatonin, but also likely what I think it did is, is, is disrupted their, their sleep cycle so that they probably were having a lower quality of sleep as well. Because reducing by 10 minutes the quantity of sleep isn't a huge amount, and yet they were still tired for hours longer in the morning. So get off the screens and read a, read a good old-fashioned uh, paper book. That's a great uh, thing, thing to do. Uh, Make sure some people, uh, if they get up in the night to go to the bathroom, wakes them up, if that's you, you can decrease water consumption or liquid consumption a couple hours before bed. Uh, that may be helpful. And so those are all different strategies. And there are supplements that, that people can take. Um, I know Wise Woman has uh, some supplements for that. My uh, company, 
Uh, NBI has a supplement for that as well. It's whatever works for you. There are lots of great products out there. Uh, the second thing in terms of immune system is uh, cutting the sugar. So sugar depresses immune function. And we in our family right now, we are almost, we're low in sugar anyway, typically, uh, refined sugar. But currently, we're almost completely uh, avoiding all added, added sugar. So read labels carefully, especially where they list the added sugars. That's new recently on the on labeling requirements. You know, number of uh, grams of carbohydrate from added sugar, they have to put that on there. And then you can read the ingredients list. And if it has any of those, I call them the red flag words, you know, molasses, corn sweetener, uh, brown sugar, cane sugar, dextrose, fructose, uh, turbinado, sucrose. I mean, it just goes on and on. High fructose corn syrup, all of those. So you want to avoid all, all of those as well. Now, they're great sweet treats people can have. They can um, take some dark, a little bit of dark chocolate, which we do, or frozen, uh, frozen fruit, mixed frozen fruit, and with some pea protein or almond uh, pea milk or almond milk mix it in a Vitamix or a, or a blender to create a nice, rich, tasty uh, treat that also has wonderful antioxidants and, and nutrients from, the, from the, the fruit. And I mentioned that the, the pea milk or the almond milk, you're talking about milk, you know, people need to ditch the dairy without a doubt. There are lots of reasons why dairy is bad uh, for us. But one of those reasons specifically relevant to the pandemic that we're in right now is it dairy can create mucus. It's mucus forming, and that provides an environment for bacteria and viruses to replicate. They just love it. It's like giving them a little home inside your body. And so we don't want to make, we don't want to do that. We want to create it as, we want to create an environment that is inhospitable to the virus as, as possible. So get rid of the dairy. Fortunately, there are tons of dairy alternatives out there. Uh, the only thing that I haven't really found that's, uh, that's great uh, in terms of a dairy alternative is cheese, but I don't really eat cheese anyway, so it's not, I'm, not, I'm not missing much. <laughs> I'm a cheese fanatic, so that one's hard for me. I do love, I do love a little bit of cheese. <laughs> but yeah, that, and I agree. I, you know, I've gone dairy-free, and cheese was the hardest part. <laughs> and, and did you notice any difference in how you felt? Oh, huge, huge difference. Um, but I've been, you know, I've been gluten-free for, oh gosh, the last maybe eight years um, and then did dairy-free. And it was a major difference because I was, you know, I used to live every day on allergy medication because I was always just very mucousy, you know, and I don't have any of that now. That's so great. So great. Not at all. Well, and all these strategies that we're talking about, getting sleep, cutting the sugar, ditching the dairy, you know, those are all things to boost our immune system. When that's not happening, you know, you're not getting your sleep, you're, you're eating sugar, you're, you're eating dairy, and you know, you're drinking alcohol, which can depress the immune system. It's sort of like you know, death by a thousand cuts. There may not be any right. one, one thing that's going to tip the balance in the virus's favor, but we don't want to give the virus any advantage that it can have. So it's just very prudent especially now to be aware of these strategies and to implement them, encourage other people that you meet and know and love to do, to do the same. Um, and then with diet, eat a rainbow a day. You know, the vitamins and minerals and other plant nutrients that are in whole foods, those richly colored uh, purple and green and yellow and red whole foods, those are the nutrients our body really needs to, 
to flourish and, and thrive. A lot of people most of the time focus on uh, macronutrients, the uh, carbohydrate and fat and protein, and too often they're not focusing enough on the, on the micronutrients. And it's really, I am a big fan of the Mediterranean style diet, the eating pattern that's been shown unambiguously over 60 plus years and studies to be the healthiest dietary pattern. It's essentially a, a whole foods plant-based diet with lean proteins, very low in packaged foods, very low in fried foods, very low in red meat. And it's been shown to reduce the risk of heart disease, uh, diabetes, obesity, cancer, death from cancer, all-cause mortality. A recent 2019 study even showed that it had a um, 22% reduction in fracture risk in people with osteoporosis. And it's been associated with reduced dementia risk and reduced osteoporosis risk. So just across the board, there's been not at all. And it provides both the macronutrients and the really important, uh, the really important micronutrients as well to give our body what it needs to thrive because research has shown that when we're low in micronutrients, iron, zinc, um, some B vitamins, it depresses our immune system and it creates a, an, again, an environment where our immune system can be attacked by bacteria and viruses. And studies, a study came out, a, a review article, not the ongo that I just read that talked about how, you know, replenishing even those micronutrients, doing it by diet alone is not sufficient in many cases. And, and that was my experience. That's been my experience clinically as well. If somebody has those deficiencies, giving them a good, high-quality multivitamin and mineral supplement with the most absorbable form of uh, the minerals, the amino acid chelated form or citrate or malate form with high doses of the complex B vitamins and the methylated B12 and methylfolic acid, those, which are the active forms of those B vitamins, are, are going to provide a better benefit because especially in the minerals, if they're in the wrong form, our body can't absorb and use them. A lot of manufacturers will manufacture dietary supplements, multivitamin and mineral formulas with oxide forms of minerals and magnesium oxide and zinc oxide, copper oxide. Our body can only absorb about 2% of those. So what happens is people invariably swallow the, the capsule or the tablet and you know, 98% of that is going right through them and right out their poop. And they're only getting 2% absorbed through their intestines and into their bloodstream that their body can utilize. So it's important to really look at the labels and just, if you're not looking at anything else, look at the forms of the minerals and make sure those are the, it says amino acid chelate or malate or citrate and look at the B vitamins, make sure it's methylated B12, methylfolic acid, uh, because that's going to give you the most value for, uh, for, your, for your money. The other so thing what's I your favorite multivitamin? Well, my favorite one is the one that I created. It's uh, called Supreme Multivitamin. When I was in clinical practice, uh, and this is the story of how my company actually came to be, I couldn't find products that I needed to help my patients that contain the dose, the form, and the combination of nutrients shown in clinical trials and basic research to work. And so I started a company. It's a niche company with about seven or eight SKUs at the moment, really tailored to things that didn't exist on the market and currently for most of them still doesn't. And one of the things that frustrated me is I couldn't find a, a high enough quality multivitamin and mineral formula 
for my patients. And so I created my own. It's called Supreme Multivitamin. And so that's what I take. That's what my wife takes. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I recommend to people uh, because of the quality. Great. Uh, thank you. The other thing that I love, uh, and I love food. I love you know, using food as medicine. Um, we love to cook in our house. We love whole fresh fruits and vegetables is, is broth. I think broths are an amazing, are amazing elixirs of health when done, when done right. And so sipping a nourishing broth can be really beneficial to the body. There are ancient foods that have been used for thousands of years in, in, in food and in medicine. And two of those that everybody knows are garlic and onion. And so I actually create a broth for my family and it's published in another blog. The recipe is uh, on my website. Uh, it's called the Dr. Neustadt's Cold and Flu Killer. And it's garlic and onion and then common spices we have around the house. Himalayan salt or somebody could use sea salt, uh, a little bit of cinnamon and some cayenne pepper, which is optional. My daughter won't touch it if I put cayenne pepper in it. So I do it without the cayenne pepper, then I just <laughs> add, it, add it to my own. And at the first sign of any symptoms of sniffling or just feeling run down, I whip up a batch of that and we're sipping cups of that all, all day. And I think that's another thing too that's important for people to be conscious of. Listen to your body. You know, too often people override and ignore and rationalize away the signals our bodies are giving us. Our bodies are telling us days before we get sick, you will begin to feel the effects that it's coming on. But most people just ignore it. So the moment, especially in the situation where now you're starting to feel tired, you know, or you're starting to feel run down, go to sleep, nap, do these strategies that we're talking about, which you should be doing anyway, but it's especially important if you're starting to feel, feel a little run, run down. Don't ignore the signals that your bodies are giving you. Our bodies are, are wise and uh, they've been evolving over millions of years. So they know what's up. Just, we just have to listen. They're telling us, we just have to listen. Uh, the other thing is exercise. Uh, now a lot of people are going to be indoors more. It's important to exercise. There's online exercise routines. Uh, in fact, I was just, I work out with a trainer and we can't do it in person anymore. So we're now on FaceTime and he's training me from, from his house and I'm in my house and I'm getting amazing workouts still. In fact, I told him, I said, we're going to, we have to record these and post it to your Facebook page. Let's give, let's help people. Let's give them these free workouts that they can do in their house. So we just recorded the first session today. I'm excited. And, uh, Oh, that's great. Yeah. We're going to get it up and uh, we're going to share it to the MBI Facebook page and we're going to include it in links to the MBI newsletter and let people know because we've all got to come together as a community, share these resources, help each other through this time. So exercise is so important. And the research is clear. Moderate intensity exercise improves overall immune function. And when you're in the house, you don't have to have weights and barbells. And there are lots of things you can do. You can do dips, chair dips. Uh, you can hold onto a counter and do some dips with the counter. If you've got stairs, you can go up and down the stairs five or 10 times. You can grab some soup cans, some heavy soup cans or heavy cans out of the pantry and just sit there and do curls and, until you get so tired you can't do another one. You know, do, do, uh, do reps of 10 each or 20 each and then take a little break and then do 20 more and keep going. It doesn't have to be a huge amount of weight. The important thing is to fatigue the muscles and get the circulation going. And so those are just a couple of things. You can drop to the floor and do some push-ups or do some, do some crunches. There's, there's tons of things that we, we can do in our, uh, in our houses. 
And the more we can make it fun, the more we're likely to do. We're all going to be cooped up anyway, or a lot of people are already. My family and I are. So we're trying to make some fun out of it. And we're doing dance parties with our kids. And the other night we did a sing-along after dinner and we're cooking more together. And I just called a buddy of mine because we can't get to see him. And I started just you know, flipping him some, you know, not, I don't know if I can cuss on your show or not. I want to be polite. Flipping him some shit and having some, having some fun, um, you know, joking around lighten to lighten the mood. We are going to get through this. This will get better. The economy is crashing and there's no avoiding it. There's going to be, uh, we're going through a tough time, but humans are resilient. This is a global issue. I've never in my life experienced anything where you have researchers and governments all around the world putting all of their effort into solving this global problem. It's an amazing point of unity in the, in the, in the world right now that we've never seen before. And it can be a point of unity in our communities too, where we really reach out and help and support each other and reaching out because social isolation, especially if people don't have a family can cause depression being isolated chronically is a risk factor, just as serious as smoking is a risk factor for, for poor health. And so making sure that we are reaching out to, to people and connecting with them. In fact, I've got a list every day. I'm about, I'm going to reach out to one person I haven't talked to and just check in. I called my brother today. I called my buddy today and just keep doing that. Even people that we don't talk to that often, make sure to wave to your neighbors, even if we can't get close to them while we're walking. And that means get outside also, get some fresh air and sunshine, get some of that vitamin D, get, get the circulation right. going outside. We can go outside. You can go for hikes. Mother nature is an incredible healer and incredibly nourishing to the body. So make sure you get some fresh air as well. And then right. the last, social isolation, I can't say the word. The tough word. Yeah. Social distancing <laughs> yes. does not mean you have to stay in your house locked up. Absolutely right? not. And I think that's what people forget. They're like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to close my doors and not go outside. And no, we need to be still getting outside. So I appreciate that, that you recommend that for people. Okay. So uh, people have, you know, they're, they're taking care of themselves. They're eating well, they're getting good sleep, they're um, exercising, and they still come down with something. What what would you recommend at that point for someone to do when they start to feel like they're coming down with something? Right. So I think that, that at that point, all of these things still carry over. So that's really important. And in fact, and, and for me always, and clinically, when I create treatment plans for patients, diet and lifestyle is first. And dietary supplements are there to support the body, provide extra nutrients if we think or, or test and know that there are deficiencies going on in vitamins or minerals. Uh, we, know, uh, we know that, that micronutrient deficiencies are, are rampant in this country. Over 50% of the population doesn't even get the recommended intake of, of magnesium. So I like a, a good that people in general, even before they're feeling ill, start taking a, a multivitamin and mineral supplement. So we take the, like I mentioned before, supreme multivitamin. And then good mitochondrial support is important also. Mitochondria are the little engines, the little nuclear engines in every one of our cells. They create cellular energy and research uh, a review article. I love it that I read recently a 2019 article called uh, the mitochondria, the hub of the immune system, where they coordinate different aspects of the immune system. The immune system is very energy intensive. It requires a lot of ATP, 
requires a lot of energy. And so I like a good mitochondrial support, both just for daily maintenance, but also when somebody is feeling, uh, fe- feeling sick. And um, your listeners probably you know, aren't aware of this, but I was actually recognized by Elsevier um, as one of the world's top-sided authors for one of my articles into mitochondria, uh, mitochondria and, uh, molecular pathways of disease, looking at the nutritional requirements that mitochondrial need in their pathways and strategies for ways we might be able to reverse mitochondrial damage. And that's what I used and based my uh, Mitofort formula that I created. It's called Mitofort uh, based on that, on that research. And so that's what I take. Um, that's what I recommend. And then sleep, make sure you get enough sleep. And if you need some extra help, um, like we said before, Wise Women has some great herbal uh, sleep support formulas or MBI has a formula called Sleep Relief uh, that I take and whatever works, they're different. Again, companies have great formulas and great products. It's whatever works for you. And then additional supplements uh, I like, and this is where Wise Women, I think, really shines as a company. When I think about tinctures and glycerites and syrups and I want a liquid formulation that I know is high quality, I always turn to wise women because I know your manufacturing steps. I know your sourcing uh, quality of your source materials. And I've used your products clinically for years. So currently, what are we taking? I'm taking uh, your licorice solid extract and your eleuthero, your ginseng solid extract, both together. And I used to love this with patients too. Uh, and I take a- Those are great ones. I love them too. Yeah. So I, I take an, I, I, an eighth to a quarter teaspoon of both each and I put them in hot water first thing in the morning and I drink it like I would a tea. The licorice has been shown to increase secretory IgA. It's been shown to uh, help promote immune system function. The leutherococcus is a great adaptogen. Uh, licorice has been shown to um, prolong cortisol, so it helps as an adrenal, um, as adrenal support supplement. And cortisol is a great anti-inflammatory. Um, and so it takes some of that stress off the adrenal glands. And so I, I love that, that combination in the morning. And then I'm also taking your immune glycerite uh, formula and your cellular support uh, formula. Both of those are, are phenomenal mixtures of uh, herbs that have been shown in the research to have you know, broad spectrum immune support capabilities. Some of them shown to be directly antiviral and antibacterial. And that synergistic mix and those formulas, I think, are very powerful. And so I'm taking those uh, two, three times a day, uh, taking droppers full, full of them. And, and that's the strategy. I mean, everything that I went over, we're doing everything. I practice what I preach. I would never recommend somebody do something that I wouldn't do myself. And, and you know, the last thing that I would say is get a plan. Put something in action. You talked about you know, the anxiety there's a lot of anxiety around this and people feeling out of control. So the more that you can put a plan in action and control what you can control, the better you're going to feel. So we've stocked up on food. We've arranged the children's bedrooms for homeschooling. There have two kids. They're being schooled. Now we've stopped visiting my mother-in-law uh, because she's in a residential facility and super high risk in that community. And we're doing everything that, that I mentioned on this podcast. And so I hope people listening to this will really take 
not only the numbers we shared earlier seriously, because this is serious, but understand there is so much in our control, so much that we can do to protect ourselves and our community and our family. And I hope that this has been helpful. Thank you so much. I, I totally agree. And, and um, I really, really appreciate that you would take the time to come on here with me. We kind of arranged this last minute because this is so timely. And I, I'm just really appreciative that you made the time to do this. So uh, if people want to learn more about what you're doing or get in touch with you, um, and you mentioned that you, that you are having a podcast as well. Um, so I want you to tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, how they can find um, the products that you mentioned, and also tell us a little bit about the podcast that you're going to have coming up. Um, sure. I'd love to. Thank you for that. Uh, people can reach me on uh, through the website and learn more about uh, the work we're doing at MBI and the work that I do. Uh, the website is nbihealth.com. NBI stands for Nutritional Biochemistry Incorporated. So nbihealth.com. You can always reach me through the contact form and those will be forwarded to me. Uh, sign up for the newsletter while you're there so you can get information like this straight into your inbox. The blog that I mentioned that so a lot of this data and even the recommendations are there are links in that blog to the wise women um, products to the MBI products. I, I mentioned uh, there, there are links to the research articles where I got this from. If people really want to dig into the research and dive in like, like I did, that's all in the blog that's currently on uh, the homepage or they can just search for COVID-19 or coronavirus and they'll, uh, and they'll find it. And I, I do want to just say too, uh, it's really important that the people know this, that I, I get, I recommend products that I use and love. I get no compensation. There's no affiliate program. When somebody clicks a link to, and it takes them to Wise Woman, for example, in this blog. And I've never done this before, by the way. I've never actually linked to another company's product in a blog ever. Uh, but this is such a different time. And this is so important that I felt it imperative to really share what I'm doing. But I have no financial um, interest or compensation from Wise Woman or any other company. I really want people to know that there's no conflict of interest here at all. Uh, the podcast is called The Delivering Health Podcast with Dr. John Newstad. I just recorded the eighth episode. It's going to be a combination of me talking uh, and then interviews. The doctor I mentioned before who's already treated the COVID-19 cases in Arizona, the cardiologist, um, Dr. Decker Weiss, he's one of the, the physicians I interviewed, so he'll, he'll be on there as well. And that is going to be launched the first couple of weeks of April. Things have been pushed back a little bit. We're going to launch it March 23rd, but we had to push everything back because with this pandemic and development, uh, things really have gotten a little bit crazy for, for everyone. Uh, then there's our Facebook page. We do have an MBI Facebook page. Uh, you can find it uh, by just searching MBI Health on Facebook or go to the mbihealth.com website uh, and you can click on the link at the bottom to the Facebook page. But sign up for the newsletter to continue to get updates and, and more information and health tips directly into your inbox. That's great. Thank you so much. There's a lot of ways people can get some really great information that you're putting out there. So thank you for sharing all that. And thank you again for joining me today to talk about this really important topic. And um, for everyone listening, I thank you all for tuning in and listening today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on podbean.com or on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. And if you want more information about Wise Woman Herbals, you can visit that website, wisewomanherbals.com. In the meantime, wash your hands and be well.
Thank you.